Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. It's Scott Berry, head baseball coach at Southern Miss. Southern Miss coming off a weekend season in Starkville, won the opener, one to nothing in 10 innings, and then lost the backside of the series. Mississippi State got a walk-off win on Sunday afternoon. Scott, appreciate some of your time this afternoon and for you joining us each week during the uh, the baseball season. Kind of curious, after uh, having a couple of days to think on it, as you look back at the weekend, how do you feel uh, overall about your team's performance? Well, you know, I think, Richard, we, we found out some things that we needed to uh, to discover about our guys in, in that situation, that atmosphere. And, you know, those, you practice all year long in the fall against yourselves and in the preseason leading up to the opener, and you you don't fact, you can't factor in all those other ones, uh, you know, the crowd and, and the uh, the adrenaline that, you know, is produced uh, by, by playing in front of people. So I thought our guys, pitching staff, you know, I saw a lot of, a lot of positives there, guys coming out of the bullpen and, and giving us stops and, and giving our offense a chance to try to win a game late. Uh, we did there, obviously, in, in game one and, and had a chance to do it in game three. Uh, but, you know, the concerns are we uh, we made way too many errors. We struck out too much and uh, probably left too many people on base to, to be able to win a series. But with that all being said, you know, we were in a position to win a series, but Mississippi State uh, took advantage of some uh, things that we didn't do well uh, to take that series. So, How good is Mississippi State? You know, I think they have a chance to be uh, pretty good. I really do. That, that pitching staff uh, that, that we saw on the second weekend of the year was – was it looked like mid-season form, you know. Uh, of course, Smalls was outstanding on Friday, uh, you know, and our guy uh, Walker Powell was as good too. You know, you yeah, look at was. the two of them, and and one of them hit bats and it went to the glove, and the other one missed bats and, and the catcher caught it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and 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 then of course we we win that game in ten innings, but you know JT in, uh, you know he was. Uh, a first rounder last year out of high school turned down a lot of money to to go to college and boy uh, he really pitched with a lot of presence uh, a, a young man that looked much more mature than a freshman you know he looked like a seasoned junior out there and uh, very very bright future ahead of him and certainly a, a big plus for that staff there but. Mississippi State, I think, has a chance to be good. They, they're coming off momentum from going to Omaha the year before, so certainly they have guys in place that have uh, have weathered that storm and 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 made it to to Omaha. So, uh, you know, when you have those things in place and you have that pitching staff and, and they play hard, you know, I think they're gonna I think they're gonna have a really good year. You've got a guy that is a freshman, I, I guess redshirt freshman, but but first year that he's playing, who is not. Pitching like a freshman in Ryan Ock. Four appearances, a zero ERA. He's gotten himself out of some difficult spots, was the winning pitcher on Friday. What, what is it that is making Ryan Ock as, as good as he's been early this year? Well, you know, it's kind of a kind of a unique story in the fact that he redshirted last year. Uh, in one of our preseason scrimmages, a scout 
noticed him and uh, and said, you know, I got to ask, why did he register last year? You know, it was basically he couldn't find the zone enough. He had arm strength. Uh, he didn't really have a good secondary. He, had, he was a one-pitch guy, a raw arm, an un, un, unused arm out of Minnesota that uh, really, really developed nicely uh, this fall with Coach Ostrander, our pitching coach. You know, got all kinds of confidence, started locating, really cleaned up the secondary. It started playing, which made his fastball even better. But, you know, he's a guy that's sneaky quick. From the left side, the ball just kind of jumps on you. But what I like about him, Richard, is the ability to come in in any situation under any kind of atmosphere so far and, and just come in and attack hitters. And that's exactly what he's done in the four outings that he's he's appeared for us now in our six games. Have you discovered something in the land of lakes that nobody else uh, knows about? you got, what, was it three guys from the state of Minnesota on your roster uh, you know, yeah. Ock that we were just talking about, and obviously uh, Matt Walner, and and then um, oh, there was one other I saw just Charlie a second Fisher, ago. You know, yeah, Charlie, Charlie Fisher. Fisher. Yeah, he gets the pinch hit uh, RBI in game one to score Blaylock from second base. So, you know, it's been uh, it's been nice to have those guys from Minnesota come down and contribute, and uh, and and really you know impact guys in our program down here. So. Uh, I don't really know anything else to tell you other than it's kind of unique for a kid from Minnesota to be down here in the South. But if we can find some more, we'll certainly bring them down here and thaw them out. Yeah, I uh, I understand that. We talked a lot about Matt Walner and not being in the rotation to start the year. Uh, I know you you've said you're going to continue to bring him along. Does the time that or, or did the time that he missed, kind of leading up to the start of the season, has that affected him at the plate at all, or is it just kind of? Sometimes as a hitter, even when you're a really, really good hitter, you, you maybe don't get out to the start that you'd like to. Well, I think the thing with him right now is I've had to DH him other than Friday. You know, we were going to DH him on Friday, and Blaylock, he, he sprained a wrist. Uh, we still have to determine what that injury is. So I had to put Matt in there on Friday knowing that he really couldn't cut it loose if he, if he, if he had to. So we were yeah. kind of gambling with that. And then we DH'd him on, on Saturday and Sunday. But he DH'd the first weekend against Purdue. So, you know, a lot of guys who are everyday players that are used to being on defense and used to hitting, I mean, it's a, it's a different mindset that you have to have to just DH. I mean, there's a lot of downtime. A lot of times you just sit there and think, uh, about, you know, whether it be successes or failures, in his case right now, he's kind of struggled. So you wonder how much that has occupied his time sitting over there on the bench. So uh, today I'm going to get him back out there in right field. The arm's starting to feel a little bit better. Of course, Gidry has kind of sustained uh, uh, an injury there. He wasn't moving good in Starkville. Uh, been kind of battling this. So I'm going to try to rest him today, and Walter's going to go to, to right field. But I think Matt is a guy kind of like Taylor Braley was for us two years ago. He's, he needs to be in the lineup both as as a defensive guy, whether it's on the mound, pitching and hitting for himself, or in the field uh, playing defense and hitting. I think he's just one of those that, that needs to be able to do that. Unfortunately, the arm has kept him off the field. Quick, quick thought from you on Hunter Slater off to a pretty torrid start. He's hitting four fifty eight. I, I know that's not a number that's necessarily sustainable from an average standpoint, but can he continue to hit and be the kind of impact player that you need him to be throughout the, the entire season? 
Well, certainly you hope so, but we know how how difficult baseball is and, and the struggles that come about it. Everybody goes through a, a low point at some at some point during the season, usually. Uh, but you know, with, with Hunter, it's been nice to watch him develop. A red shirt kid, his freshman year, so this is his fifth year uh, as a red shirt senior, and he's continued to develop uh, each year at the plate with more consistency uh, as far as batting average. His power numbers have continued to climb as, as his RBI numbers. He's developed nicely athletically at first base for us, having played the first uh, year or two years at in, in left field for us. So athletic kid, a quarterback uh, in high school that we knew that was uh, that had some athleticism and, and it's translated over there to first base and made us a really nice first baseman defensively as, as well as the development offensively. Starting tonight, eight in a row at home, UNO in a midweek game, that's never an easy one, and then uh, a team that played in the postseason a year ago in Gonzaga coming up this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't get any easier, but you know, that's college baseball. That's everybody across the board. I think there's 297 Division One schools, and at any point in time, anybody can beat anybody if you're not ready to, to show up and, and play the game the way it's supposed to be played. And uh, I think that's the, the the neat thing about college baseball now is the parity out there. And uh, you just you have to commit every every day you take the field as 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 a team to winning a game of baseball and the roles that are asked to play. So tonight it's against UNO, most important game on our schedule. When we get finished with uh, with this game, then we'll move on to Friday and Gonzaga, who who's a good program. Um, right now their record's not as, as good as it, I feel like that they are. Uh, but they've played some good competition right out the gate. But they have a, uh, a really nice club that went to a regional last year as well. It took you 10 minutes to get to coach speak on me today to, to give me the most important game of the season is tonight. <laughs> well, we try to keep it as simple as we can. You know, I don't, we don't want to. We don't want to be looking, uh, you know, ahead, or we don't want to look, be looking behind us. That's over. You know, the first six games we played, those are done. They're in the books. There's nothing that can be reversed, good or bad, about them. We just have to take what we uh, what we didn't do well and apply it, and the things that we did do well, continue to build on it. And you know, that just happens to roll to this next game tonight. And that's what I'm looking forward to. You know, we right now we've lost back-to-back games. Uh, certainly was a, a disappointing loss on on Sunday when we really. Uh, competed to keep ourselves in it and uh, and came up short. So I'm anxious to get our guys back out there to, tonight and see how we meet this challenge. We'll be following along, Scott. Thanks, as always, for your time. Look forward to talking to you next week. Richard, my pleasure. Thank you. That's Scott Barry, head baseball coach at Southern Miss. Communication system is a go. go. This, this is... Sports Talk Mississippi, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Exactly. Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad joins us right now. On the Farm Bureau phone line, he is at Duty Noble, or at least is going to be at Duty Noble very soon, as uh, Mississippi State has a game this afternoon. Hey, hey, Dad, maybe you can help me with something. I asked Borky this during the break. I've always heard people refer to Duty Noble as the Carnegie Hall of College Baseball. Who who first said that? When, when did that moniker 
catch on? I know it's been around a long time. Uh, Cohen said it in its introductory press conference. That was so he is the originator of the whole Carnegie Hall of College Baseball thing. He is. Okay. And I guess it has stuck since he's was the coach stuck. and, and I now am the AD, at it right so. now. Yeah. Say what now? I am here at the ballpark right now. Is, is that how you would describe it, or would you come up with a different descriptor? Well, you're getting me in trouble. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that one. I, I, I like I like a lot of, of descriptors for it, but that's one that's just never caught on with me. I mean, Carnegie Hall's nice and all, but it's just concert hall, right? Yeah, yeah. It's really nice, and there are a lot of really great people that have performed there. Uh, yeah. What do we need to know this afternoon? Uh, on the mound for MSU, Eric Sarantola, uh, I'm very interested in seeing. He pitched a couple of innings, or maybe just one inning, uh, against Youngstown State. Did not pitch this past weekend. I guess they were holding him for, for this. Uh, but he's a big, tall right-hander out of, out of Canada from the great white north. Got a lot of velocity on his fastball. He, he, he's just a true freshman. He looks like a guy that maybe two years from now could be taking the mound on Friday night for Mississippi State. So I'm interested to see how he does today. Um, beyond that, I mean, this is Mississippi State, Jackson State. You know, when, when State plays SWAC teams, they tend to beat them pretty easily. So if they don't, that's something to talk about. But we'll see what happens. The normal batting order, Marshall Gilbert behind the plate. They're giving Dustin Skelton the day off. Uh, and we'll see how they, they pitch it. Last week against UAB, they didn't really you know piecemeal it. They didn't play Johnny Holstaff. But they do have another midweek game this week, too. So I expect Sarantola to you know maybe get three or four, maybe even five innings, depending if they can keep his pitch count down and uh, see how he does today. Yeah, Anthony, yesterday on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed, we didn't have time to get to it at the end of the show, was asking about Eric Sarantola and whether or not he pitched this weekend. So you answered that question. No, he did not throw this weekend. Uh, what I mean, you, you say you think he's maybe a couple of years away from being a weekend rotation guy, maybe even a Friday night guy in the SEC. What does he bring to the table? Power. You know, he's he's going to be mid nineties with that fastball. Uh, he, he's got some he's got some velocity, man. He can he and that's to me. The Friday night guy has got to be the guy who can throw the fastball for strikes, and then his breaking stuff is going to be good. But if you can't throw your fastball for strikes, you you, you can't start on Friday night for, for for Brian Haydad anyway. Now, not that I'm a baseball coach, but but that's just always been my philosophy and what I've always thought. So I think you know he he brings he's a power pitcher. You know I like to make the joke that he he uh, he changes speeds by throwing harder, and I think that's the kind of pitcher he's going to be for Mississippi State. Well, I mean, there's a changeup mixed in there one way or another, I, uh, I yeah, guess. It comes in at 91. There you, uh, there you go. So Jackson State this afternoon, um, and then road trip to, uh, to Frisco this weekend. So this is a busy week, and uh, Chris Lamonis told us yesterday he, he doesn't like the whole two midweek game weeks. He says it's hard on the players to, uh, to do that. I guess extra hard when it's two midweek games followed by a road trip on the weekend. Yeah, yes, and and you know you look ahead to this weekend. I mean, you got a chance to to put some signature wins on the resume. You know, Sam Houston State's a pretty decent program. Texas Tech, number three in the country right now, or at least they were the last poll that I looked at, and they swept Kentucky and beat them pretty badly on Sunday. I think they the last score I saw was nineteen to three. 
Uh, the Red Raiders are up, and they're a team that can they can really mash the baseball. So I'm very interested to see how you know true freshman JT Ginn, who's been so good in his uh, first two starts, how does he match up against Texas Tech? Because if he can go out there and shut down that lineup, boy, that is a that's a, a big sign for Mississippi State that he's going to be a guy that you can really rely on in SEC play. Yeah, so so game today at 4, game tomorrow at 5.30. Thursday's a travel day. I would imagine they'll try and practice on Thursday night uh, in Frisco. And then a 3 o'clock game on Friday, a 6 o'clock game Saturday night. You would imagine absolutely packed house for that Mississippi State-Texas Tech game. So a top 15 matchup there. And not that anybody's thinking this going into week 3. Like, oh, well, do you hold Ethan Small? I I like what you're saying there. I think it's a pretty nice opportunity with JT Ginn to say, all right, what have you got, freshman? We're going to roll you out there against one of the best teams in the country in a really big environment and see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to rely on him in postseason play and that's going to be the plan, then you know there's no time like the present. Just throw him into the pool and see if he can swim. And uh, you know, I think he, I think he's up to the challenge. You know, I know his stuff is up to the challenge. We'll see if mentally he is. Since he, you know, had that first inning hiccup uh, in his first start against Youngstown State, where he beamed a guy, and then he uh, gave up a two-run home run. He hasn't given up a run since, and that's in uh, I think 11 innings pitched. So you know, he he looks the part of the first-round pick that decided to come to college. But this week will be his first real challenge. Not that Southern was not a good bat. A good baseball team, but but Texas Tech is better than them, and this will be a, a great challenge uh, for Ginn and for the Bulldogs in that game. And, and I guess the other part of that is, I mean, Ethan Small going to throw against Sam Houston State. That's not just a good team, but a good program. And Chris Lamonis told yeah. us yesterday, you know, one of the the uh, maybe the best pitcher in their conference, certainly uh, an ace on that staff, and a guy that could potentially give Mississippi State trouble at the plate on uh, on Friday. Yeah, Friday night, you know. Friday night games are so key, and, and and state playing in the in this kind of uh, tournament, you know, you're not going to see the same guys obviously the whole weekend. So you only get that one shot. And with Ethan Small, he has pitched incredibly well. Been very tough luck, you know, and sort of that proof that the win is the the most overrated stat for the pitcher because his numbers would make you think he should be two and zero, but he doesn't have a decision on the year because the the, uh, the team hasn't been able to deliver offense around him. So hopefully. You know, when it comes to Ethan Small, it's more about can State deliver some runs while he's on the mound because he is certainly doing a great job of keeping uh, the other team from uh, from scoring. Um, let's switch gears. Hoops tonight. Mississippi State's got Missouri coming to uh, town. It's a busy afternoon. I, I don't know if people like leave mass exodus from the baseball game and walk across the street, or if uh, I don't know what the crowd's like for for either of those events. But this is this is another one of those games that falls into the category of. Probably don't need to lose. Uh, I'm not sure that it makes that big of a difference for Mississippi State at this point. It feels like they've probably done enough. You you take care of business against this, uh, against Missouri tonight, and against A&M in the two home games, and I'm not sure that anything else matters. But it's not a game you want to lose. You want to be playing your best basketball this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you look back back a season ago, that game at Missouri, to me, might have been the deciding factor for State not getting into the NCAA tournament. They had a chance to get the win there uh, in Columbia. That would have been a, a really big win for them. And they just gave it away in the closing seconds. Um, so for State tonight, you know, I think there, there might be – 
I don't know if, if it's you, – you, everybody talks about, you know, one game at a time. Well, this one game would be the lock, right? This is the where you can, you can look at it and say, we're in. If you win tonight, you're in. NCAA, you're going to the NCAA tournament at 9-9. Nine and nine. This would be the ninth win. It really wouldn't matter what you do the final three. And even though State's not going to take that mindset – for Mississippi State, th- this game is is the one, and and if they can win this game tonight, I think all of the pressure of making it to the tournament goes away, and then you can just start talking about playing for seeding, and talking about you know trying to keep momentum going and, and being as hot as you possibly can entering postseason play, uh, you know starting with the SEC tournament. Yeah, it's really hard to believe that we're down to just four regular season games remaining, not just for Mississippi State but for everybody. Missouri tonight at Auburn on Saturday, at Tennessee on Tuesday, and then a home game to finish it up against uh, against Texas A&M. Two and two in those, you got no worries. One and three, you probably have very little worries. Anything north of that, and to your point just a second ago, you're playing for a seed. I mean, not, not to be an eight, but maybe to be a seven or a six or, you know, who knows. Well, I mean, if you beat Auburn... You know, right now, I haven't seen the latest net. I'm sure Borky has them, though. But the last time I saw State, they were 24th or so. Uh, if they can, you know, win tonight, beat Auburn, beat Texas A&M, maybe win a couple games over Nashville, I think they have a chance to get up to six and maybe even to be the last five seed that gets in. Uh, so you, you could be putting yourself into really, really good position with, with some more wins. Wouldn't you rather be a six than a five? You you would because yeah you're avoiding the one it, it's sort of it's sort of funny how that works sometimes but yeah well you're you also would, just avoiding the idea of the five twelve game maybe it's an idea that's a little overblown but mm-hmm. that's where people pick upsets whether they happen or not no you're right I think I think it's something like in the last twenty years there's been at least one that if you bet all I know the stat was if you bet all four of them every year that you you always make money because at least one of them will hit. Yeah. Interesting stuff. No, you got a busy afternoon tonight. Look forward to running through all of it tomorrow with you as we uh, recap baseball and uh, and hoops tonight. See you in Jones County tomorrow. That's right. That's right. Tell you more about that when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Mississippi State about to get started with with their baseball game. First pitch at 4 o'clock. Ole Miss and uh, UT Martin. Mississippi State playing Jackson State. Ole Miss and UT Martin also first pitch at 4 o'clock. And Southern Miss meeting UNO tonight at 6 at, uh, at Pete Taylor Park. The Privateers, right? That's right. University of New Orleans Privateers, UNO. Um, Playing pretty good basketball, too, I think. UNO is? Yeah, at least in their conference. I'm just going to have to take your word on that. <laughs> well, I follow people that cover the, the NBA team in New Orleans, and they also occasionally dab into the college basketball scene there, Tulane and UNO, and apparently UNO's having a good year. So, good for them. You have, Yeah, they're second in the Summit League. How about that? Coming off a win over uh, North Dakota State. Hey. You, you have me curious now at this point just how good UNO is in, uh, in basketball <laughs> this year. Um, let's see. They're 16-10 and 10 overall. 
that matters not this afternoon because we're talking about a baseball game in uh, in Hattiesburg. Uh, you heard uh, Brian Haydad reference it uh, just a moment ago. Sports Talk will be live tomorrow in uh, in Jones County, the MACJC Men's and Women's Basketball State Tournament will continue. In fact, tomorrow is uh, like championship day at Jones College. Sports Talk Mississippi will be broadcasting live tomorrow from Ellisville, breaking down all the matchups. Giving you some information, go to JucoWeekly.com to follow all the action throughout the uh, state basketball tournament at the Juco level. I was in Senatobia last year, had a good time uh, being there for, uh, for that event, and um, this year in Ellisville, which, by the way, is not close to Oxford. I... I I've been through Ellisville before, I think. But I pulled it up on MapQuest. I got about a four hour drive tomorrow. <laughs> We're talking South Mississippi. You don't feel sorry for me though, do you, Borky? Um, not in the slightest. You're coming, aren't you? Yeah, I will be there. Which okay. I'm excited about. I've I've never been myself. Yeah. To Ellisville or to to Ellisville. So I've been to Laurel, I've been to Hattiesburg, and Ellisville is in between the two, and I have yet to, to go to Ellisville. So I will cross that off the list. The, the, it gave me two different route options. I could either like go over to Meridian and down, or just go down to Jackson and then kind of go like you would go to Hattiesburg. I think I'm going to go the Jackson route, just because Meridian from Oxford is like can't get there from here. I mean, you you can obviously, but it's just one of the. There's no like direct route to make that an easy trip. So, anyway, nobody cares uh, about that. Hey, on uh, on Friday, Super Talk Mississippi is celebrating Mississippi Reads. Our goal is to get every child in every community across Mississippi to celebrate reading. On Friday, you'll hear from authors and literacy advocates as they tell you how important reading is to the future of our state. Plus, families first. Uh, Mississippi is hosting book drives for children all across the state during the month of March. I just got to tell you, I mean, this may sound like bragging. I don't mean for it to. There is nothing that is cooler than when you get to sit down with your kids and, you know, for the first few years of their life, you've been reading to them. And then all of a sudden, they're able to read to you. So it happened a while ago with Ava Montgomery. She's eight. She's in third grade now. And she just started a Harry Potter book. Like, I mean, the idea of me reading Harry Potter in third grade, that's probably out there. So, so she's pretty sharp. But Obi's in kindergarten. And, you know, he's to the point where he can check books out from the library. We sat down in bed last night. You know, he read the whole darn book to me. And it was like, this is the coolest thing ever. So we'll celebrate Mississippi Reads across the uh, the state with you on Friday. Um, good to be with you this afternoon. C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. So, Borky, you tell me you're going on a cruise. Yeah, I'm going on a cruise. The AAF is hitting home runs. By the way, week three, they had a ratings increase from week two. So week one oh, yeah. was the best, naturally. Week two, naturally, there was a drop. But week three was actually better. And so, they're already being sued. They're already being sued. They already have a new owner. 
And now you can hop on a cruise this summer with Steve Spurrier and some of his fellow coaches and have a luxury vacation and some football lessons on the side. (laughs) You think Steve Spurrier will be walking around with his shirt off, drinking the banquet beer? Beer in hand, talking about some new passing schemes? Yeah, sign me up. There you go. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. One hour in the books. Coming up next, first-time guest, John Gassaway, who is a college basketball guru at ESPN.com, going to join us. We'll talk some analytics. We'll talk some Ole Miss, some Mississippi State, and some NCAA tournament when we continue after this. Four o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad's in Starkville, covering Mississippi State baseball this afternoon, basketball tonight. Brian Scott Rippey in Oxford, covering the Ole Miss baseball game this afternoon as well. Let's jump on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com, and welcome in a first-time guest. John Gassaway from ESPN.com covers college basketball. Tweeted earlier that John was coming up, and I said he was a smart follow on Twitter. Maybe what I should have said was a smarter-than-me follow on Twitter, a guy that uh, that lives in the analytics world and uh, college professor on top of that. John, appreciate a, a few minutes of your time this afternoon. What's up? Uh, not too much. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, uh, let's jump right in and, and kind of look at the teams in the uh, in the state of Mississippi. I, I, I caught a tweet of yours on Saturday uh, while the Ole Miss-Georgia game was going on, and you said that you were having trouble understanding what this Ole Miss basketball team is. What do you make of the Rebels right now? Yeah, that was at the point where they were losing to Georgia. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I stand by my comment. You know, this uh, this team earlier in the season was uh, taking care of Auburn at Auburn, no problem, and uh, started out three and zero with a road victory at, uh, at Mississippi State, uh, in danger of of losing at home to Georgia. So that that was a that was a tweet of the moment. But um, Ole Miss, uh, I you know we shouldn't we shouldn't miss the uh, big story of this season just because of a, a momentary tweet in the Georgia game. Uh, they're going to be an eight seed or thereabouts in the NCAA tournament. And if you had grabbed me, I know, and I suspect a lot of people in the preseason that said Ole Miss is going to be an eight seed, uh, we would have been thinking, wow, that is, that is really an impressive uh, impressive outing for, the, for this group. So uh, well done, uh, particularly on interior defense, uh, tough group to score on in the paint and uh, getting it done uh, the other big picture we shouldn't lose sight of is uh, the SEC last year and this year has been excellent and this is not like a normal SEC before that uh, the record that you see with Ole Miss or Mississippi State or anybody it's honestly come by this is a, a tough league that's going to send a lot of teams to the NCAA tournament John is there a way to quantify why Ole Miss is good in their inter- with their interior defense? Because from a personnel standpoint, it's not there, and the best aspect of this Ole Miss team is its guard play. So, how is it that they are keeping other teams down in the paint? Yeah, you know, it's it's one of the things that is sometimes missed about basketball, even by uh, people who have hung around it a long time, is that. 
you can play good interior defense without the intimidating uh, shot blocker necessarily and, you know, without size. And I, I know that uh, Ole Miss has a seven-footer and, and more power to them. But, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. That is the strength of their team personnel-wise. And the the proof is in the numbers, as you say. I mean, the uh, it's, it's not on the same bleachers as Kentucky or Tennessee, but uh, right well, not right behind those guys, but uh, third place uh, for opponent uh, two-point shooting in SEC play. That's, that's Ole Miss. And the, the SEC is only shooting 46% on their twos against Ole Miss, and the average is, is right at 50. So, I mean, that's, that's significant. And, uh, frankly, that's the best feature of the team on either side of the ball. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, it was planned that way or they can count on it forever. But uh, here we are on the on the brink of March, and, and this is uh, what we're seeing. So uh, Kermit Davis is, is getting something done right in the paint. John, four games remaining in the regular season for Ole Miss. Tennessee tomorrow night. They go to Arkansas. They host Kentucky, and then they finish on the road against Missouri. Sitting at nine and five right now in league play, nineteen and eight overall. The metrics are pretty good. They they don't just blow you away, but they're pretty solid. You mentioned an eight seed a second ago. How much margin for error does Ole Miss have in these last four games? Um, actually, they've got a lot of margin for error because uh, there's no. There are no bad losses in these last four games, and even though uh, you're playing Arkansas and you're playing Missouri and those uh, look like they're not going to be at-large quality teams, those are both on the road, so there's there's nothing wrong with those games, and there's nothing wrong, wrong with losing, uh, say, one of those two road games. And of course, Tennessee and Kentucky at home. That's, that's all upside, you know. Sure. Win and, and win and that's great. You know, you, uh, you're looking at, you, you know, a, a win, uh, particularly against Kentucky, who's been, you know, just now bumped to a one seed in most mock brackets. I mean, that is typically, uh, worth bump up one seed line just by virtue of that win alone. It's not etched in stone, but that's kind of a, a rough rule of thumb. So, uh, I would say all in all, the schedule is, is fortunate for Ole Miss because there's, uh, you know, that's part of the tweet that you were referencing is that the one, uh, the one trap game in this whole late season stretch is the kind of thing where you're playing a home game against Georgia. Look like they might fumble it away. Now that they've won that, now they're into all opportunity here. Last question before we move on to Mississippi State. Let's just say that Ole Miss goes 2-2 two and two in their last four. Never mind what they do in the tournament. They, they win the two that probably on paper they're supposed to win, going to Arkansas and hosting Missouri, but they lose to Tennessee and they lose to Kentucky. Is an eight kind of where they stay at that point with that type of finish? Yeah, and you, I think so, and you don't want to get too precise and say it will be an eight seed as opposed to a seven or a nine or more likely a nine. But, you know, you think in terms of the area of the seed instead. And, you know, of course, the big story about that area of the bracket means uh, when you're around the 64 game, which will be against a similar level opponent, and then you're, you're going to be facing a really, really high seed, possibly a number one seed in the, in the round of 32. So uh, there's always talk from some Machiavellians that the really smart thing to do here is go 0 and 4 and fall to a 10 or 11. Right, drop to a 10 or 11 and get a, an easier path. But I don't think uh, anybody has ever done that. I don't expect Old Miss to start either. Yeah. 
Uh, what about Mississippi State? They've got a home game tonight against uh, against Missouri. Uh, they finish out the season with a home game against Texas A&M, a couple of road games in between, road trips to Auburn and Tennessee. It feels like right now Mississippi State has done enough, uh, certainly to be in without losing much sleep at night, but also maybe like there's an opportunity for them to climb a seed line or two in these last four games. Uh, what do you see with this Mississippi State team? Uh, they have definitely done enough. Climbing is going to be uh, tougher for the Bulldogs because they're starting from a higher rung on the level uh, on the ladder. They're they're more like a six seed, and it's you know it's easy for John Gasoy to say, yeah, you know, win at Tennessee and you'll climb. And obviously, they probably would. Or if they win at both Auburn and Tennessee, you'll probably climb. The only asterisk to put by that is you know once you're talking about a six seed. Uh, the teams above them are, are pretty compacted by a whole season's worth of results. And it, it can't be emphasized enough that the NCAA really does look at the whole season. And that was one thing they made very clear to uh, Google Cloud in coming up with their new rating system, is it had to be completely uh, blind of the date of the game. And so literally the, fir- the first game of the season matters just as much to Mississippi State as upcoming road games against Auburn and Tennessee. So, yeah, sure, they could climb to a five, but uh, much more than that, that's probably going to be really tough because there's a lot of, I mean, these are the best teams in the country, and they've got a whole season's uh, worth of work where they've earned those seeds above Mississippi State. But, again, this is great news. I mean, these are good seeds we're talking about for the Bulldogs. John Gasway on your radio covers college hoops at ESPN.com. He's also an adjunct professor at Columbia University. And uh, interesting stuff as we get closer to March Madness. Are you on Team Net or to be determined still? I didn't know there was a team. Are, are there jerseys? Oh, we're starting sounds, one uh, right now. It's uh, uh, you, you get to cool. design the logo. Well, I, I tell you, for years, I was the most vocal uh, drum-banging member of Team Get Rid of the RPI. So it would okay. be uh, it would be remiss of me to then uh, turn right around in year one of the net and say this this thing is terrible, and here's everything that's wrong with it. I want to give it at least a, a one-year honeymoon and say I and say truthfully that I like the fact that in addition to uh, measuring the fact that you win games and measuring the schedule you play. It's also measuring how good you are at basketball. And that is ushering in some really nice things. There, there is no planet in the universe where we would be talking about Wofford maybe getting an eight seed, for example, if you were still using the RPI. It would be physically impossible for a team in the Southern Conference to be talked about getting an eight seed and Wofford's doing it. So that that's one. Is, that's is that one, because of their efficiency numbers, though? Uh, partly. Partly it's because they, they've got good wins. But, you know, I'm not saying that the net is all power ranking. It, it, it's got results in there as well. But sure. it's just a much more healthy balance of results and who did you play versus the RPI, which was uh, so obsessed uh, with your opponents and your opponent's opponents. So that's one bouquet I'll toss the net's way is that it's, it's uh, opened a path for mid-majors that, that wasn't there before, really. John, really appreciate a few minutes of your time this afternoon. I hope we can do this uh, again before we get to uh, before we get to Selection Sunday. Sounds good. I would like that. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. That's John Gassaway from uh, ESPN.com. 
Uh, he's an adjunct professor at uh, Columbia University in the sports management program there, and a big analytics guy. Really, uh, really interesting perspective that he brings to the conversation. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Bottom of the second inning in Starkville, Mississippi State threatening with a runner on third in a scoreless game against Jackson State. Bottom of the first, a little bit slower start in Oxford, slower in that it's taken a little bit longer. UT Martin leading 4 nothing over Ole Miss in the top of the first inning. An RBI single from George Stoner. An RBI ground out, scored a second run, and then a two-run home run from Blake Davis. Ole Miss got a, uh, got a walk from Anthony Servidio and is now on the board as Tyler Keenan has just hit his fourth home run of the season. Long balls early today as Ole Miss now trails 4-2 to two to, uh, to UT Martin. A lot of offense early in this game, Borky. Yeah, Ole Miss, it's still early, and one of them missed this past weekend with, with a blister on his finger. He's going to be fine. They have a starting pitching concern issue in this early going. Yeah, you know, you, you think about a year ago, Ole Miss lost two games in the non-conference, but one game all season long to a non-SEC team. So they lost game one of the series at Long Beach State. That was a weekend game. And they lost a midweek game to Mississippi State in the Governor's Cup, which technically is a non-conference game, although it's against an SEC team. Those midweek wins matter. If you look at Ole Miss teams in the past, you know you, you slip up, lose one to Memphis, you lose one to Arkansas State, maybe you lose one or two to Southern Miss. There's one other random, you know, UT Martin or somebody that beats you in a midweek game, and you look up and you've got, uh, or maybe you get three midweek non-conference losses and two or three more on the weekends, and those games add up. Ole Miss lost. One midweek game all of last season, and it was the Governor's Cup to Mississippi State. And it's part of the reason that they won 47 games. It's a big part of the reason they won 47 games, and a big part of the reason that they won those midweek games was because the midweek pitching was so good. You knew who you were going to throw on the weekends. You knew it was going to be Rollison uh, and, and the other guys on the weekend. And you knew that Houston Roth and... You know, primarily was going to be the midweek guy, but also Jordan Fowler was going to throw in the midweek. And both of those guys pitched well in the opportunities that they had. So by moving Will Etheridge into the rotation and moving some guys around and maybe Greer Holston not being what you thought he was going to be early, almost trying to kind of still figure it out on the mound. Not only are they trying to figure it out on the weekend, but trying to figure it out in the midweek. So we'll see where that goes from a uh, from a pitching standpoint. So it's four to two, UT Martin leading it over Ole Miss in the bottom of the first inning, and Mississippi State against Jackson State there in the second inning in uh, in Starkville, and uh, Mississippi State trying to pick up their first run of the game. Really big, fascinating news dropped yesterday, and we just didn't have time to get to it. In the college basketball world. Story from Yahoo. Think Dan Wetzel wrote the story. 
Preliminary notifications have been sent out to representatives of both Arizona basketball coach Sean Miller and LSU basketball coach Will Wade that they will be subpoenaed for the April 22nd federal basketball corruption trial. A subpoena is not an indictment. A subpoena is certainly not a conviction. But a subpoena, in which they've got to be at the trial, means they're going to be called to the witness stand. And it likely means that those audio tape recordings, those wiretap recordings that are out there that have been talked about, are going to be played in a courtroom And then those two coaches are going to be questioned about them. This thing just got interesting. Especially because we're going to, we're going to hear the wiretap. Now, a transcript of part of it was read in the trial back in October, but because they're going to be subpoenaed, according to this report, we are going to hear the wiretap which I think changes things. Having somebody read it out loud in court, although it should have done Will Wade in, it really should have, but he gets to collect his multi-million dollar check this season and continue coaching basketball. Hearing it, I think, will change things. Just like video changes things. You can tell somebody what happened like in an altercation all day long once you see the video like the Ray Rice situation, changes perspective. I think once you hear the audio of these coaches directly talking about facilitating money to players, it's going to change a lot. Will Wade's a good basketball coach when he's got really good players. And he's got really good players at LSU. And they're in a three-way tie for first place with the inside track to win the SEC regular season. Is he going to be coaching at LSU next year? Nope. You don't think so? Well, maybe he will. This is what kills me. And I talked about this on my podcast this morning because I have one. Um, If these two guys were players, would they be allowed to play this season? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But yet they get to coach, collect their multi-million dollar salary, and... Act like nothing happened. And the reason I say absolutely not is schools would hold the players out because of the risk of playing an ineligible player. Oh, my goodness. Cole Zabowski just hit one a mile to right, and it's tied at four. (laughs) So Ole Miss spotted UT Martin four in the top of the first. Rebels have hit two, two two-run home runs in the bottom of the first, and the game's tied at four. Yeah, the good news is, even if the pitching gives up a dozen runs a game, the offense will score 13. Yeah. Um, No, you know, in the event that you're holding out a player, you know, you're hoping that at some point you can get him reinstated by the NCAA, right? I mean, Alabama last year got Colin Sexton reinstated. Auburn did not get their guys reinstated last year. In fact, Angel Purifoy had to miss some games this year as well. But no, I mean, if there's a wiretap that has been talked about in court with a player 
discussing receiving extra benefits and knowing about it, no, they're not playing. But Bill Self is still coaching at Kansas. Sean Miller is still coaching at Arizona. Will Wade is still coaching at LSU. And I started that by saying, I started it by saying that Will Wade's a really good basketball coach when he's got good players. There are a lot of guys that have got players like Will Wade has at LSU or like Bill Self has at Kansas who win a bunch of games. To me, so this all started, what, two seasons ago, about a little over 18 months ago. When you got the um, the initial stuff handed down from the Southern District of New York, and it's still a reasonable question to ask. Okay, what law was actually broken here? Where, where's the broken law that has us tied up with the FBI and court hearings and all that? You 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 can ask that question all you want, and you can say that the whole thing is dumb. But the reality is we're actually moving toward potentially really big stuff that has taken two years to get there. Because how many times have we taught Borky in the last year and a half about the fact of, you know, raise the question, well, is anything going to happen in this? Nothing's going to change, right? If Sean Miller and Will Wade have to appear in court, and a wiretap is played in court, and those guys lose their jobs, ultimately? Or big-time NCAA penalties are handed down, ultimately? Then things are changing. Yeah, I guess my only counter would be, we already know that Will Wade is on one of these wiretaps. It was read, the transcript. The, the words yeah, but you that said yourself, it. it's different. It is different. But, man, if you're the... That's what... What I can't wrap my mind around is the NCAA, LSU, whoever is involved in making the decisions to keep him or fire him knows that in a federal court, it was said out loud that he was involved and complicit in paying a player a direct violation of NCAA rules, and yet here he is still coaching. You know what? I think I'd do the same thing LSU's done. Probably so. Yeah. See if I can make a run to the Final Four. See if I can make a run to a national championship this season because of all the reasons that we've discussed in recent weeks. If it actually happens, guess what? It actually happened. I saw it with my own two eyes. Can't take it away from it. I mean, what difference is it? I mean, if LSU gets rid of Will Wade right now, it's like they're admitting guilt and they're going to get penalized anyway. you got him. Might as well ride this thing. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Brian Scott Rippey is going to join us from Swayze Field in the 5 o'clock hour. I was thinking a second ago, it's like, uh, it's like a Snickers commercial for, uh, for Rippey not going anywhere for a, wh- a while. Top of the second inning. Almost 40 minutes into the game, they've uh, recorded a combined eight outs. Ole Miss and UT Martin tied at four. How about that? Goodness. 
And Mississippi State and Southern Miss played, what, a two-hour and 15-minute game with an extra inning on Friday? Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's good grief. They really did. And game moving along in Starkville as well. They're in the top of the third inning. Scoreless Mississippi State and Jackson State in Starkville. Southern Miss tonight is uh, hosting UNO. Six o'clock first pitch at uh, Pete Taylor Park in Hattiesburg. Let's stick with hoops news. Stick with some hoops controversy that bubbled up over the weekend as well. Anthony Jordan was one of the basketball officials for the Tennessee-LSU game on Saturday. Questionable calls, especially at the end of the game, into the overtime, Admiral Schofield, no, I'm sorry, it was Grant Williams, was called for a foul, like, what, 75, 80 feet from the basket, opposite end of the floor, six-tenths of a second remaining, LSU goes to the other end, knocks out a couple of free throws, wins the ballgame. It happens. Whether you liked the call or you didn't like the call, it wasn't the craziest call ever, but it was a call that was made by Anthony Jordan. What did you think about it as an aside first? I mean, I am very team. The time of the game should probably dis- dictate whether or not you make a a touchy call like that. I say let them play with a second left in a game like that. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I, I really do. Um, I mean, I-, I get that a foul is a foul. But 75 feet from the basket with no real opportunity for LSU to actually get a shot off, even like a half-court heave, they don't blow the whistle right there. So you look at it, you go, yeah, probably a blown call. Maybe they shouldn't should have, maybe they shouldn't have, whatever. Well, they make the call, and Tennessee fans start digging. They start digging. Vol Twitter gets after it. And five years ago, there was a picture of Anthony Jordan traveling in a foreign country holding up an LSU Tigers t-shirt with a, uh, a social media post directed at Alabama fans that says, Go Tigers. And that is all the ammunition that Vol Twitter needed. <laughs> this gets to the uh, to the newspaper folks, to the reporters. They reach out to the SEC office. Herb Vincent explained Anthony Jordan. The uh, Herb Vincent, by the way, with the SEC office, explained Anthony Jordan, the official in this social media post, has communicated to us that while traveling in Spain five years ago, he saw the T-shirt from an SEC team for sale in a store. He took a picture and posted that picture to be seen by friends via his social media account. He said it was intent to make a lighthearted social media post about having seen the T-shirt in another country and not to express affinity for a particular school. Jordan has officiated at a high level in the SEC for 19 years, including 11 assignments in the NCAA postseason tournaments. We do not find this social media post to be acceptable with our expectations and will proceed accordingly while also acknowledging Mr. Jordan has a lengthy track record as a fair and impartial basketball official. So what's your reaction? Here's mine. A couple of things. I do think, generally speaking, Anthony Jordan is a pretty good basketball official. 
He's been at it for a long time. He's not one of those guys where I see his name if I'm broadcasting a game or just watching a game and I go, ugh, here's a guy who's going to make it all about himself. This is not who he is. It, pretty good official. And, you know, a lot of postseason experience. He's been in the SEC for a long time. If you're a Tennessee fan and you see a guy, a referee, hosting, uh, holding up an LSU t-shirt, with a caption underneath it on a Facebook post that says, Go Tigers! And you feel like you just got screwed. How do you feel? You're mad. My initial reaction, Borky, to this story was, ah, there's nothing to see here. Move on. Come on. Stop making a story out of it. Then I heard Seth Greenberg talking yesterday. And he said, this is a big deal. And and so I started thinking about it and started kind of thinking about it from a Tennessee perspective. Sometimes we joke about Vol Twitter. I mean, just give them a reason to be mad about something, and hot dog, they will get mad. No question about it. But I think their anger is placed reasonably this time. The SEC has a conflict of interest policy. Here are the reasons that an official can't call a certain team's games. School they attended, school where immediate family is currently enrolled, school where the official played for or with the current head coach, school where there's a relative on the coaching staff, school where there's a business relationship with the head coach and or the institution, school where the official or an immediate family member is currently employed by the institution. Anthony Jordan didn't fall into any of those categories. But he does fall into the category of holding up a T-shirt that says LSU Tigers on it with a caption that he typed in that says Go Tigers. Regardless of the uh, of the intention, that's a really bad look. So what happens next? What do you think happens next, Borky? Probably nothing. I mean, maybe they'll pull them off LSU games in the future just to keep everybody quiet, but that's not enough to me. I would have done that. If I was in Jamaica and I'd have seen a Tennessee shirt, I would have taken a picture of it. How random is that? A Tennessee shirt, of all places, a Tennessee shirt in Jamaica. That's very random. I would have pointed that out myself. Now, would that mean I'm I'm pro-Tennessee and I wouldn't be able to officiate a Tennessee-Vanderbilt game? No, not at all. So I understand where this is coming from, and it's not it's not enough. They did find a layer, though, which I don't think this means anything either, but at least it's giving them ammo that he called 44 fouls in that game. Which is a lot of whistles, by the way. More than the other two officials combined. And 29 of the 44 were in favor of LSU, so against Tennessee. Ben and McComb asked a reasonable question. Did he type G-E-A-U-X or G-O? G-E-A-U-X. He typed G-E-A-U-X. You say that determines if he's really a fan or not. I have a small amount of sympathy here because I feel like I've worked really, really hard to separate the fact that I have a degree from and attended Ole Miss. I guess those things are kind of the same. And live in Oxford. And grew up an Ole Miss fan. 
But I worked really hard to not have those things come through in a broadcast. And conversely, have worked really hard when I'm broadcasting a Mississippi State game to to be fair. It was never a question in my mind, there was never a question in my mind, whether or not I could pull those two things off. I felt like I could broadcast an Ole Miss game the same way that I would broadcast Arkansas versus Georgia. I've always believed that I could broadcast a Mississippi State game in the exact same way that I could broadcast LSU against Auburn. And I feel like largely I've succeeded in that. There's some people that disagree, but I, I think over uh, the people most that people, disagree are are just well that, that that's fine. But but yeah. but the point is, even that is different because I don't have the ability to affect the outcome of a game. People will swear that you do, though. It's the reason, but, but most people don't. It, it's the reason that when Brad Freeman was still a college football official in the SEC, he couldn't do Mississippi State games. Not because he wasn't capable of being fair, but you just remove the the optics of any potential impartiality. It's the reason that Walt Hill who grew up in Oxford and played football as a walk-on football player at Ole Miss, can't do Ole Miss games. Or Chad Hill, who's now in the NFL as an official, can't do Ole Miss games. Everybody's from somewhere, right? So we're all from somewhere. And there's some things that you can't do because of where you're from. And the SEC's got rules against it. It's a pretty bad look. Of interviews. Weekday afternoons starting at 3 on Supertalk.fm, the Supertalk Mississippi app, and always live on your local Supertalk Mississippi radio station. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky on this Tuesday. Got baseball going on all over the place. Mississippi State in Starkville leading 5-zip over Jackson State. Top of the fifth inning. Headed to the bottom of the third in Oxford. It's UT Martin 5, Ole Miss 4. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, then Mississippi Land Bank can help because they've been financing land and stuff that goes with land for over 100 years. It's what they do, it's what they know, and they are people you can absolutely get behind. They're people you can trust. They're people that you're going to like doing business with at Mississippi Land Bank, Bank. Com. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line, bring in our man Brian Scott Rippey. He is at Swayze Field. I, I, I said earlier, Rip, that uh, you're kind of like stuck in a Snickers commercial, not going anywhere for a while. Yeah, I hope I make it out in time for tomorrow's show, but we'll see at this point. I mean, it's honestly a little quicker than last week's midweek game. We were at the two-hour mark, and I think in the fourth inning at this uh this game is racing by compared to that. We might be in the fifth at the two-hour mark. 
Maybe. An hour in, it's the top of the third with UT Martin leading 5-4. to four. Uh, Before we get to the college football fix and some football news coming up, just um, not, not a great day for Jordan Fowler uh, out of the gate. UT Martin puts four runs on the top of the first. Ole Miss kind of doing what it does offensively with a couple of home runs in the bottom of the first inning. What about pitching right now? Yeah, it's really the starting pitching. Fowler's struggling. Stuff look a little flat, and I think his velocity was down a tick or two from what from what I saw. But the the, the odd part about all this is their bullpen has actually been good when they've been put in tight spots. It's just they've got to figure out, you know, behind Will Etheridge how to how to put together some quality starts um, in the rotation. So that's that's really probably where most of Bianco's attention is right now. Because I mean, like I said, the pen's been pretty good. The offense is, you know traveled with them everywhere they've gone and they just kind of got to find a couple of starters that's going to give them more than two and three innings and outing. I know there's a lot of baseball to play, but is this one of those days where it's a little bit of a rocky start and Ole Miss at some point is going to settle in and kind of pull away, or is this going to be kind of one of those back-and-forth affairs that takes forever and the outcome's never really uh, safe? They may have just started that. I'm, I'm sitting outside the stadium, but they're playing the music as if somebody just homered, so... You would think Ole Miss's offense would eventually kind of take control of this game, but you never really know with the way Ole Miss has pitched it um, in these first couple weeks. I think they'll end up being all right. Um, so I would imagine Ole Miss, you know, probably overwhelms UT Martin offensively. Uh, do you know who homer? Do you have it up? If I gave you one guess and said, "Hey, guess who just hit a home run?" Who would you guess? Um. Well, I just heard a Winnix walk-up music, so I'm going to go Dillard, but that's kind of cheating. That's cheating a little bit, but it might have been your guess as well. Fifth home run of the year, solo shot for Thomas Dillard. He continues to uh, to be on fire. Did they make you leave the stadium to talk to us? No, no. It's just the quietest place. The press box is kind of uh, not small, but like it's a tight area. Like I wasn't going to blow up everyone else's uh, or disrupt what they were doing, so I decided to walk out for a little bit. Yeah, but wouldn't want to interrupt Parrish Alford. You know, he's knocking his game story out in the third inning. He's you could have just put it on speaker and like pass the phone around. I'll be glad to bring Parrish on right now. I'm sure he would have some flaming takes. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Uh, spring football press conference happening today. Matt Luke at the podium earlier this afternoon. What did he say that struck you as interesting? Um, it was really just kind of covering all the bases with regards of what he's looking at this spring. I'm actually writing something as we speak on it on just kind of three or four areas he's looking his attention to. And I think it's, one, it's retooling the offensive line. Two, figuring out what he has, that receiver with the obvious names leaving for the draft and Brown, Metcalf, and Lodge. And then the third is kind of who's going to fill those outside linebacker spots when they flip to the 3-4. And they actually have some options there, whether it's Jonathan Hess is a kid that was recruited as a linebacker, moved to defensive end, and then kind of that well they moved Kadir Shepard and Charles Wiley out there. Sam Williams is Juco linebackers and newcomer that could play out there. And I think they moved Kevontae Ruggs out there, too. So those are really kind of the three main areas, in my opinion. I mean, there's a lot going on with you know new quarterback as well. But those would be three areas in particular I'd be looking at throughout the spring. Any thoughts on, on that 3-4 defense and whether or not it's a, a positive change for Ole Miss? Um... I'm not sure if McIntyre necessarily has his ideal personnel at the moment, but um, 
I mean, he's got a reputation of doing a little with a lot, and he's going to need to do that right off the bat. So I think it'll be a decent fit for him. If nothing else, it'll be a change, you know, change from an optical standpoint. It'll look different if nothing else, and I think that people will welcome that after the last couple of years. Devon Penniman has uh, has not been healthy and really hasn't played for most of the last two years. Uh, apparently, getting close to to being fully recovered. After an injury like this, can he get to a point where he can help the offense and and can he be a factor in the running game? I think they're hopeful, but I think they want. I don't think they know the answer to that at this point. I think they're going to have to see what he is because I mean he, he tore up his knee pretty significantly. So I think they're going to see him running and cutting and doing some stuff that he hasn't done in a long time this spring. So I'm not sure the answer to that right now, and I'm actually not sure they know that yet. Um, it would be an intriguing case to watch because you just never know after injuries like that. I mean, you kind of saw, unfortunately, what it did to Eric Sweeney, and he had two of them. And so you just don't really know. I think they're hopeful that he'll kind of be in the rotation there and, and be able to give them something because if he is, that's kind of a deep position now that you have Willard and Phillips for another year. And if you can get a, you know, some semblance of Penniman or at least some semblance of what he was, you feel pretty good about the running back slot. Is there any reading between the lines that you were able to do as Matt Luke kind of talked about his new assistant coaches, particularly the coordinators today? Um, he said the word chemistry a lot, and I know that's cliche, but I think they do genuinely like each other. And I think he actually takes comfort in the fact that those guys kind of see things through the big picture because they've been a head coach, and in both of their cases, they've been head coaches for a long time. And so, you know, I think he was applauded with taking the ego out of things when he made those hires, and that's part of it. But I honestly think he he takes a lot of comfort in having two guys that see things through a head coaching lens, even if they aren't head coaches, as their official title, obviously, here. Rippy, I never got the impression that Matt Luke didn't like the guys that were on his staff. But but do you think for him, and I guess I'm kind of asking you to – opine a little bit here do you think for him it feels different now that he's got quote unquote his guys i think it just feels like his own program i don't think it's necessarily anything where he didn't get along with the other two guys because i think part of what went in to the decision to ride into them into last season with them was kind of a debt of gratitude for them working through some pretty adverse circumstances in 2017 and finishing the season the way they did and, you know, helping him get the head coaching job. So I don't want to say he feels like he owed them, but I think there's something to that there. And so, you know, obviously this past year got to the point where they had to make widespread change on the staff. And so now I think it probably just feels like his own program and his own fingerprints on it. And, yeah, so probably mostly just, just along those lines, it feels more like his program more than anything else now. Bottom of the third inning, Ole Miss now leading 6-5 to five over UT Martin. They have absolutely teed off on David Hussey for UT Martin this half inning. Lead-off home run by Thomas Dillard. Ryan Olenek doubled down the right field line. RBI single for Zabowski. And then Chase Cockrell just doubled into the left center field gap. So Ole Miss is taking the lead. Still nobody out with a couple of runners in scoring position. In the bottom of the third, Ole Miss and UT Martin playing at Swayze Field right now. Um, did they... There was not an official practice today, right? Isn't the first practice on Thursday, or did they go today? They went through a walkthrough today. It started at the same time as baseball, so I did not attend, but it was a walkthrough-type practice today. Gotcha. Um, 
any uh, any news at the quarterback position? I mean, is there any discussion at, uh, about the quarterback spot? Is this Matt Corral's team already? I think they're going into the spring with that being the expectation, but there's so much unknown with the new system. And, you know, they bring in Grant Tisdale from Texas, who can throw the ball pretty well, but is also a pretty willing runner. And so I don't know who's going to fit the system better, but I think, I mean, it sounds as if right now they're at least going in with the expectation it's Corral's job, it's Corral's team to lose. But, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're keeping their mind open again because there is a lot of unknown with that at this point. Yep. All right, Rippy, enjoy the baseball the rest of the way. You may be there for a while. <laughs> Sounds good. Y'all have a good one. All right, we'll talk to you uh, tomorrow afternoon. Brian Scott Rippey covering Ole Miss baseball. He will not be with us tomorrow at Jones College for the state basketball tournament as Ole Miss will play Tennessee tip-off tip of that game at uh, at 6 o'clock tomorrow night. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough and take advantage of Ford Truck Month. Great deals on the best-selling trucks, the F-Series, at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. College football fix driven by Ford. Coming up next, we'll talk some hoops. What's coming up tonight? What's coming up tomorrow night in the SEC? We're back after this. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, on this Tuesday afternoon. Glad to have you along for the ride. Appreciate Scott Berry joining us earlier today on the Farm Bureau phone line. Southern Miss playing UNO tonight. First pitch a little less than an hour away, about 40 minutes away. Also, John Gassaway from ESPN.com. College basketball chat with him. Talked about Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Four games tonight in the SEC. Missouri is at Mississippi State, where the Bulldogs are a 12-point favorite. That's a big number. Yeah, and, I mean, it's a game you that they... the points? 12 and a half is tough, even though Mississippi State's better than Missouri is. I just, yeah. I, I'm trying to figure out what I think about this game... They don't have to win this one, I don't believe, with their remaining schedule and their metrics, but you'd just be better off finding a way to win this one, too, just like you did Georgia. can be ugly. You can shoot 8% and score 25 points in the game as long as Missouri scores 24 and just be done with it. Look, man, I sometimes I, – I don't do the whole talking and absolute things all that much. I'm going to do it right now. Mississippi State's winning this game tonight, and I don't think they've got anything to worry about. Missouri's 3-11 in the SEC. They have lost three in a row. Mississippi State's playing well right now. Um, Pinson can't stay out of foul trouble for Missouri. It's been an issue all season long. Yeah, Missouri played Florida tough. That they've hung around, right? I mean, they lost by four to Florida on the road. They played Kentucky to eight in Columbia. They lost by ten at Ole Miss. They lost by, well, they beat Arkansas by one. So it's not like they've just gotten blown out a bunch. I just wonder how much gas is left in the tank for Missouri. Is there issues with Conzo Martin there? 
Whereas, hey, I'd like to say Quanzo Martin. I don't think so. I really, I really don't. Um, David and Soche suggest that we're making him want to turn around and go to the casino. Now, nah, look, man, 12 is a big number. And if you're not feeling it, don't, certainly don't, don't do it based on me feeling it. Okay. That, that's not a good plan. I'll give and you, Stephen, you Alabama, say South Carolina, the, take the Gamecocks in the point and a half at home. Yeah, Steven says I've jinxed Mississippi State. Right, maybe. I mean, if if we're really going to believe in that, which I, I know you're kind of joking, Steven. I mean, Mississippi State's just better. They were better than Missouri in the preseason. They were better at the transition from non-league play to league play. And they're better with four games remaining in the regular season. And it's a home game. I'm not blowing smoke here. here, here here's what I see. In this game, Quindary Weatherspoon will score whatever he wants to. I'm not saying he's going out and hanging 60, but if Mississippi State needs Quindary Weatherspoon to go score 26 tonight, he's going to go score 26. Missouri does not have an answer for Reggie Perry. Are there many teams left? That would have an answer for him the way he's playing lately. I mean, I'm I will be anxious to watch the game against Tennessee because those bigs for Tennessee are so good. Yeah, he's gonna bang around with with Grant Williams, which is you know what a junior kind of banging around with a freshman a little bit, a lot of experience there. That's probably the matchup you're gonna get. You know, can can you get something from Eric Holman tonight? Could this be one of those nights where Eric Holman's engaged, he gets some more shot attempts, finds a mismatch on the perimeter? I mean, just just tell me who on Missouri's roster scares you. And this is not Nobody. a shot at Missouri. I don't mean it that way at all. I just mean, who worries you? There isn't anybody. I mean, I, Jordan, Jordan Geist is not beating you on his own. No. My question is this, though. Is there any concern with the seven-man rotation coming back to bite Mississippi State at some point? Not against Missouri. That's why I put the qualifier there at some point. Yeah. Because, I mean, obviously it's a surefire tournament team. They're playing really good basketball right now. But as the the end of the season starts grinding and, and then you go to Nashville and then turn around and play in the tournament – with only a seven-man rotation, with Weatherspoon being out for an undetermined amount of time, it, it sounds like nobody expects him to come back this season. Maybe I'm wrong. Only seven know. guys in a true rotation. that That's a lot of minutes for, for a few guys when the season is really going to start its grind here after today. After giving up nine runs through two and two-thirds, UT Martin has decided to send somebody to the bullpen. Ole Miss now leading 9-5. to five. They had uh, four runs in the bottom of the first to tie it at four. Trailed 5-4 to four going into the bottom of the third inning. Rebels have scored five runs in the bottom of the third, and Tyler Keenan is at the plate with two out in the inning. Do you see what Carl Gindel just did? Scored from second on a sack fly without an error. Is that good wheels or is that lazy play on the other on the the not paying attention? A combination of both. Okay. 
But still, a sack fly scoring from second without an error is pretty impressive. Um, 601-879-4395 for you to jump in on the uh, the C Spire text line. What about the other games tonight? You, you mentioned South Carolina minus one and a half. I, I think so. I, I I think so big time. But Alabama's still in the conversation. They're still on the bubble. Well, isn't hey, doesn't know, South Carolina like think everybody they, that they are? I mean, they're probably not. But doesn't South Carolina think that they are? So they still have something to play for at home. Oh, I I think South Carolina will be really engaged. My my question is, do you get an? I, I, look, I thought two games ago Alabama was done. I would not have been surprised at all if Vanderbilt had gone into Tuscaloosa and won. That wouldn't have surprised me. But all of a sudden, Alabama plays well. They hit shots, they defended a little bit better, and they got a convincing win on on Saturday. So is this Alabama team somehow engaged and motivated, and do they kind of piece it together over the final four games of the regular season? Because that's a talented basketball team. They've got some dudes on that team. Ended up only being a seven-point win against Vanderbilt. They were up big early in that game. Alabama's not going to the tournament, I don't think. But Borky, here are their final four games. South Carolina on the road tonight. LSU at home on Saturday. Alabama should not win that game. But that doesn't mean they can't. Auburn at home, rivalry game. Auburn not very good on the road. Auburn is better than Alabama, in my mind. But Auburn has not played to what I think they're capable of this year. Alabama could win that game. And they could darn sure beat Arkansas in Fayetteville to close it out. They go 3-1 and one in the final four games of the regular season. Guess what? They're dancing. They go 2-2 two and two to get to 9-9 nine and nine in the league. They might be. As crazy as that sounds, right? It's not even that crazy. I mean, we're we're talking about a bubble that will have teams that are five games below five hundred making the tournament. So even Alabama at nine and nine in the league—that's not even close to out of the realm of possibility. Alabama at number 53 currently in the net rankings. South Carolina, South Carolina, by the way, is up to number 80. They're climbing. I don't know if they're climbing fast enough or far enough. A&M's now a quadrant one win if you beat them on the road. Texas A&M at 68. 68 in the net. Arkansas is at Kentucky. The Cats are a 15-and-a-half-point favorite tonight at Rupp. Texas A&M is at LSU. LSU a 12-point favorite coming off the win at home against Tennessee. You remember the last time LSU had a really big win on the road against Kentucky? You know what they did the next game? They lost to Florida. They had a really big win at home Against Tennessee, surely, surely is a 12-point favorite against Texas A&M. They don't suffer the same fate tonight. 
Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.